Welcome to What's Next Longevity Deal Talk. In this episode, Lloyd Morissette is Avenues Beyond Sesame Street. This special edition is made possible by Posit Science, maker of Brain HQ, personalized brain training for cognitive performance and more. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Mary Furlong. Hi, Mary. Hi, Fred. So this really is an important special edition of Longevity Deal Talk. Um, so we're very honored to have with us today some special guests who were also very connected to Lloyd. I found this wonderful quote about Lloyd, who in the Markle Annual Report, he said um, that people used to ask him, what do you do? Do you give away money? And he didn't really like that question. And what his response was, I said, we were most like a venture capital company, but that instead of financial profit, we measured ourselves by social benefit. And that was the Markle Annual Report in 1997. So I met Lloyd 10 years earlier, and I had this idea of senior net, uh, social network for older people. I had been looking for two years for funding after I wrote the book, Computers for Kids Over 60. At the same time, Lloyd was going around to universities like Stanford and saying, asking the question, are any of you interested in the topic of older adults and technology? And no one answered. But someone who was in that seminar called me and said, I think you should talk to Lloyd. When I spoke to Lloyd, he, and I'll share more later, he said, um, I asked for a grant of 35,000 to build a social network. He said, I thought you should double that. And then over the course of the 10 years, he helped me grow the idea into a nonprofit organization. That's, that's just terrific, Mary. And with us today, the president of the Rose Bowl Institute, former executive vice president of the Aspen Institute, and executive director of the Aspen Institute Communications and Society Program, and much, much more, Charlie Firestone. Hi, Charlie. Hello. Good morning. Just terrific. And with us from Posit Science, co-founder Jeff Zimmon. Hi, Jeff. Hey, it's great to be with you, and it's great to be here to talk about Lloyd. Yes, Lloyd meant so much to all of us. He really helped form my career, I would say. So, Charlie and Jeff, thank you for taking the time and for this special episode of Longevity Deal Talk. Well, Mary, let's start out with uh, more of an explanation. You've given us a little taste of why a tribute to Lloyd Morissette, who passed away a month ago, makes sense for Longevity Deal Talk. He's best known as a co-creator, along with Joan Gans Cooney, of Sesame Street. And what an impact he had there as co-founder of Children's Television Workshop. Same year that Sesame Street went on the air, 1969, Lloyd joined the John and Mary Markle Foundation as president. And that took him down these other avenues, including some that focused on older adults. So Mary, we'll let you begin here. Tell us more about your connection to Lloyd and, and how this all began 40 or so years ago. So, so one of the topics that we connected around was the social engagement of older adults. And Lloyd was from Oklahoma. And in the summers, he would describe how he'd go back 
with his parents and drive to Oklahoma. And when he got there, he'd see older adults on the front porch kind of rocking away. And when we came to the, him with the idea of a different kind of front porch, a senior network that would connect older adults, it really intrigued him because he had looked at the social impact of television on children with Sesame Street. And now years later in his career, we had looked at older adults and technology. So we started the first social network really before AOL and uh, it was on the Delphi network. And um, so once we started the forums and we began to see the social connection, we decided to have a conference in San Francisco. So we had a conference about hundred people. Alan Kay was the keynote speaker. And um, what they came away with after the conference is a notion of spiritual efficacy of older adults feeling more empowered through the technology. And over the 10 years, Lloyd helped to not only finance the senior nonprofit, but help strategically grow the organization. So my work with older adults would not have happened without, I think, a Lloyd Morris stepping up to do that first deal. And just to, just to explain to the audience a little bit how early this was, there were no web browsers back then, right? Right. This well, this was funded in 1985, started in 1986 at the university, and then two years later we spun out and created a nonprofit organization. And then, you know, eight years after that, when the internet became so widely known, um, we went up to the launch of Windows 95 and. Um, I came back with a lot of people calling saying seniors on the internet is one of the six big ideas. And we had venture capitalists that wanted to invest in the company. And then Lloyd also helped through that transition. And we stayed friends. I recently, I saw him uh, a couple of years ago um, and it, it's always such a pleasure. Uh, he was a quiet speaker, but what he said meant so much. But I'll let Chef and Charlie talk a little more about that and tell their stories. Absolutely. You know, another avenue connected Lloyd to the Aspen Institute, an international nonprofit founded 74 years ago with a stated aim of promoting a free, just, and equitable society. Charlie, connect the dots for us. Well, actually, I go back before Aspen. Uh, I was the brought in as uh, director of the communications and society program at UCLA in 1977. And uh, Markle had been a funder of that as they were a funder since Lloyd got there and he understood the communications, the, the impact of communications. He, he and Markle were the major funders of much communications research, policy research, uh, actual communications research uh, throughout the country. And uh, one of the arms was the UCLA Communications Law Program, which did public interest litigation as well as symposia and published a Federal Communications Law Journal and, and that kind of thing. So um, th they were going to cut out funding for that. Uh, and I came and uh, met with Lloyd and they continued the funding, which was very fortunate. So yes, he was very uh, instrumental in in my career. For the that wasn't the first job I had, but it was uh, an important one. 
And um, what I'd like to say about Lloyd is that he and Markle punched above their weight. What they figured out was that uh, Markle was a relatively small foundation, but nobody was in the communications policy and communications research field. I mean, it was almost anybody who wanted to get uh, funding for innovative research had to go look around and Marco was really the place. And eventually there was a telecommunications policy research conference that they funded. And many of the people who reported, and this was the top researchers around the country who would come together uh, with government officials and basically report on their research in the field. Well, fast forward uh, 13 years later, 1990, and now I'm replacing uh, a, a director uh, of the commu communications and society program at uh, Aspen. And again, Markle had been a supporter and had decided to quit funding that. <laughs> so I had the same the same conversation. And uh, so they said, well, okay, we'll just start out very small and you know kind of continue till you get your legs and find somebody else. And one of the very first projects was to explore what Aspen does is convenes leadership level conferences with leaders and experts around a table in an exchange format. Well, they do other things, but this is the, I think, the signature format. So it'd be 20 people around a table for a few days, a couple of days, where you would uh, really not spend the time on lectures. You would have engagement, moderated engagement. And uh, so what they did is they used our program as a testing ground for ideas about SeniorNet, uh, and, and we would gather experts, and it was a great sounding board. Um, I, I don't want to keep going on, but there is another project that I want to bring up that Markle uh, supported. Uh, a woman named Ellen Miskevich at the Carter Center in Atlanta and also Emory University was a huge Russia watcher. And uh, because she was at the Carter Center, when Jimmy Carter and Gorbachev decided that under Glasnost, there should be uh, more understanding about what the media could do uh, in a, you know, as society starts relaxing their controls, they created something called the Commission on Radio and Television Policy. And what uh, Markle, uh, of course, they went to Markle uh, for funding, uh, as well as some others. And what Markle uh, did was they funded us at Aspen to do a pre-conference each time because uh, what what these these would be top network executives both in the Soviet Union at that time. This is 1990, the Soviet Union and the U.S. Uh, to exchange ideas about policy and basically so that the the state-owned uh, media people could understand what happens as you start to open up. And um, so what we would do is do a pre-conference where we'd set up the agenda and get materials so that the discussion of the commission would be uh, you know, very informed. And then we would go to the commission when we went to, had a commission meeting, which would be either in the Soviet Union, which quickly dissolved uh, while we were doing this, uh, or the US. and um, when it did dissolve, our organization was the only place where the heads of all the different broadcasting entities of what was then called the Confederation of Independent States, the former Soviet Union states, 
would meet. Um, so we met in Kazakhstan and, you know, we arrived with Jimmy Carter and, you know, rose petals on the tarmac, uh, but also some uh, very interesting policy. And we would come out with a book. This first one was television and elections. And that was really interesting because the Americans said, don't do ads, uh, political ads, when you do elections, if, as you free up your country. And the Russians were saying, are you kidding? We get to have an ad where we don't have censorship? We're going to do that. You know, you're crazy. But what we, we, we also found is that while we had this discussion in each case, the Soviets, then the Russians and uh, other in, independent states, a lot of the dialogue was them influencing each other as well with us. Uh, in other words, they weren't sitting there saying, oh, you Americans know right what's right and we're going to do what you say. But it led to discourse, which allowed for more for privatization. So we have television, radio and privatization. We have television autonomy and the state, what to do about when the state imposes. We had television and minorities, and uh, and then a, a compilation, Democracy on the Air. And this was translated in countries all over, particularly the Eastern Bloc. Uh, so there were versions of these reports in not only Russian, but you know Hungarian and um, Kazakh and all other kinds of languages. So that was an instance where Marco, and by the way, nobody ever, Marco uh, didn't look for the credit. They people didn't go around talking about Marco, but they were um, they were a real anchor, uh, uh, a very understated anchor in the communications policy and research fields. I, I agree with you about the quality of people that came and engaged, and it wasn't just senior net. It was also Sarah Saja and her work. So the Aspen. Institute, why would sessions really an important vetting uh, place? But they also did work in voter reform, I think. Do you remember that? Anything that dealt with communications from journalism, media, telecom, internet, uh, information technology, artificial intelligence, we got into. And one of the areas was uh, television, was, excuse me, um, campaigns and campaigns. Uh, uh, interaction with communications technology, particularly the internet. And I mean, uh, we all know at the beginning of the internet, we were all encouraging. And by the way, when I started my career, which was really a long time ago, I was a big advocate for access to the media. And that's in those days, you know, with the three networks, and you really wanted to have more access to women and minorities and uh, uh, viewpoints that weren't in the total mainstream. Now we we have too much access. It's everybody's a publisher, and nothing is well. Things are filtered, but little. There's not enough filtering. <laughs> I'm not saying censorship, but uh, but the the issue has just flipped, and we see that in campaigns and and the disinformation. Whereas uh, the internet was such a boon to communications, and now it's such a boon to disinformation. <laughs> Uh, you know, we can't lose sight of the good, but uh, we did not anticipate where that extent of where it would go. It was so prescient, and they always found a way to shine a light on these issues. 
which were really ahead of their time. And uh, so, Fred, should we turn to Jeff? Yeah, that, that leads us to uh, Positive Science, the pioneering company focused on cognitive performance. And Jeff, uh, you brought Lloyd Morissette onto a special advisory board many years ago? Yes, I did. And uh, first, let me say thank you, Fred, for inviting me and Mary and Charlie. It's just great being here with you. But yes, and um, I think that's of interest to your Deal Talk listeners, uh, because um, it, as you build an organization and do deals, it's good to be able to reach beyond your investors and your board to get the advice of a lot of people in a lot of different areas. And I actually first connected with Lloyd through Mary. And this is back in the early aughts. So I'm, I guess Lloyd was about 70 and aging just beautifully. I mean, he, he looked like he was in his early 50s. And when I think of Lloyd, I think mostly of his intensity, those bright blue eyes always focused on you in every conversation and, um, and just his ability to balance that intensity with um, a broad outlook and uh, a lot of empathy. And uh, in that first conversation, I discovered that Lloyd and I had, had quite a bit in common. I remember uh, we talked about uh, the joys of being a philosophy major. Uh, and uh, due to that, I was also very interested in epistemology, the science of learning. So there was just a lot to talk about. And he very quickly agreed to be an advisor to posit science as we built out what later became Brain HQ. Uh, brain exercises. And we drew all the time or on his expertise in psychology and education and just in building an organization. Lloyd went far beyond that, I must say. Um, he just gave good advice, good business advice when I needed it, good personal advice. And despite his uh, equanimity and um, his empathy, um, he, when it came to talking about business, he was always very direct with me and never wishy-washy. And I really appreciated that. Uh, Lloyd was an avid user of Brain HQ. And uh, early on, he gave us advice, which actually we got from quite a few sources. Uh, but he made it, he gave the advice in such a way that I still remember it. Uh, and the advice was to make it about brain exercise, not brain games. And Lloyd said something like, uh, hey, this is serious science. So in the balance between entertainment and efficacy, you really need to tilt towards efficacy. And then he gave an example that I still carry with me. He says, I, I feel good about going to the gym, but I don't actually enjoy a lot of what I need to do there. Um, it's, it, it's good for you guys to make those exercises game-like, but you need to make it like a visit to the gym, hard work you can feel good about where you'll see change. And um, that was good at keeping us focused because there was a, a lot of concern about, is this entertaining and fun enough? Um, and uh, when I, on another occasion, when I tried to reconcile um, some long held differences between some of our scientists and a foundation that had been pretty aggressive and trying to, as they put it, extract a, a piece of the action for their grants to the university where the scientists conducted that research, um, I turned to Lloyd for advice because I knew that he was very well connected in the foundation world. And here too, he was amazingly direct. He said something like, um, listen, I've known these guys for years, especially the head of the foundation. Uh, I, he was a bully in business. He's still a bully now. 
even though he's turned to doing good works. And uh, he's not a do-gooder like you guys. So be aware of that. And you know what you need to do with bullies. You need to be tough. So don't waste any more of your time here. Uh, on another really, occasion, really I was... Sorry? I said very, very interesting. Uh, yeah. On another occasion, I was uh, really struggling uh, with uh, making a decision. I had a senior team member who had seriously misbehaved and probably needed to be dismissed. But, you know, he was a good guy and uh, I was torn by a desire to help him turn things around so he could stay on the team and, uh, and you know, and actually, you know, doing what was best for the organization. And Lloyd, again, was super direct. You know, he, he brought me up short at the time I was serving as CEO and he said, you're the CEO of a startup and not a GD social worker. Uh, you've done your best with this guy. Uh, he needs to change to save himself, and you need to make a decision that you find challenging. So make your decision. Uh, more than anything, Lloyd was brilliant. He was a lifelong student, a very generous man. He taught me something every single time we talked, and we talked frequently in the early years. And I just imagine he had that impact on everyone he ever worked with. And his background in psychology, uh, it sounds like, played a role in, in almost all of his dealings to some extent. Uh, well, it certainly played a role in working with us. And, uh, you know, at one point he told me that if they had interactive TV uh, when he had started Sesame Street, he would have been looking for something like we, what we were doing to help kids uh, uh, learn better and uh, develop skills earlier. Uh, so he was also always looking forward. Uh, you know, we also had discussions uh, about, you know, where we were going with um, artificial intelligence and where we were going with virtual reality. And he was very much interested in what comes next and how is it a tool to make society better? You know, Jeff, I thought that you described him so well, and I found that I would save up my questions when they were yes. really important questions. And uh, I would be really careful about what I wore. I don't know why, but I would think that if I had time with him, it was so wonderful. And he liked to celebrate too. So when we got funded and got approved by the board, and that was every year for 10 years, sometimes we would get two years of funding. And it was our anchor funding. And then we'd have to go out and get other funding. But we would always celebrate and Edie, who Charlie remembers, the program officer, would have a cure royale, and then we'd have a lovely dinner and, and wonderful conversation. And uh, one year, I saw someone playing Barney, Barney at the next table. He said, you know, he wasn't such a fan of Barney because of, you know, the Sesame Street. But that quiet uh, leadership, and you couldn't ask for a better mentor. And I think all of us are a little more seasoned now, and we probably step into the role of mentor, but we could not have had another person to listen so well, to ask the right questions, and someone you could so trust, right? Well, the, the breadth of his, his impact and influence is really beyond measure. I mean, listening to all of you and, and knowing what he did with uh, Sesame Street and that alone, right? The the impact on on societies ar around the world has been so so deep. 
Yeah, I think Mary's point about trust is really uh, significant because, you know, there are people you trust and people you really trust. <laughs> and Lloyd was, you never question uh, his sincerity, his uh, devotion to the what's what's right, you know, what's the right thing to do. And uh, so he was really a good person to turn to when you when you had those kinds of questions. And I think in both your cases where you had actual organizations that were kind of on the brink, he would have been uh, just a perfect mentor and advisor as well as funder. <laughs> of course, it always helped that he had the funds, right. but he didn't have that many funds. And it was also interesting that he, uh, I don't know, maybe there were instances where the board actually turned him down. But uh, that would have been extremely unusual. I think, again, the board had great trust in what Lloyd, where Lloyd took the, the foundation, which, you know, Markle was a, I think he was a coal baron. I mean, he had nothing to do with communications. And he turned that foundation into a major player with a relatively modest uh, endowment in that field. But he also... I think doubled, did very well with the endowment. So oh, yeah, one of true. the lessons That's true. That as an entrepreneur that we learned is how to manage up to the board. And he also taught us how to recruit top tier talent. Cause I think Jeff, you also had the governor of uh, Texas on your board at that time. The woman who wore red heels and said men could, women could do everything men could do just back, backward. Oh, and Richards. We had a we had a lot of um, we had a wide range of people with uh, very different backgrounds and very deep expertise, including Ann Richards and uh, and Lloyd and uh, many others. And uh, it really made it fun for me as the CEO at the time to go out and get advice from such knowledgeable people and walk away with always with golden nuggets from each one of them. Um, but uh, Lloyd, that relationship, uh, the relationship continued um, really uh, for 20 years. And uh, and I was surprised when he decided to move from uh, the Northeast to uh, San Diego. But again, he delivered another little nugget about uh, aging. He said, well, it's the kind of place where it'll be the last address I ever have. And most importantly, where I'll be close to my granddaughters and get to um, spend more time with them. And, and the day I visited him there uh, in La Jolla, uh, it was a beautiful sunny day and uh, what's not to like. And so he even taught us a little bit about that phase of our life of, mm -hmm. of retiring. But let's just talk a minute about how Fast forward to today, as, as Charlie was talking about the television, the communication issues. Uh, at CES this year, there was just an abundance of age tech startups, uh, venture capitalists coming this morning to talk about care tech as a new area of an investment. And um, so we've seen you know, lots and lots of companies now uh, incubators and investors all focusing on this area and companies like Get Set Up with very rapid growth and OATS and ARP and their work with technology. Um, what do you see, what would Lloyd say today about 
uh, Jeff, just the number of people using posit science, 1400 a week in San Diego, right? I mean, what would he say today about how interesting to have that conversation, right? That's what I miss most when you lose someone, you don't get that conversation. Um, but the nice thing is when you know someone that long, you hear from him uh, forevermore. Yes. Um, so uh, he would uh, very, in a very kind way, tell us to uh, work harder. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, our mission was to get everyone in the world who we could help, which when we started was mostly focused on older people uh, facing uh, age-related cognitive decline and then kind of expanded to people with all sorts of uh, cognitive conditions and then just kind of expanded to, um, well, really, uh, the person with credit for this is Tom Brady, who um, uh, came to us uh, after a long hiatus uh, after his first three Super Bowls and told us how much Brain HQ was helping and then went on to win four more. And we learned from Tom that it's um, actually about helping everyone with a brain have a better brain um, and taking people whose performance is superhuman, like Tom Brady or, you know, or members of special forces or whatever. And uh, and really just giving people the tools to, as my co-founder, Mike Mersnick, is fond of saying, captain their own ship. And uh, and Lloyd was very much somebody who lived being the captain of his ship. You know, California just gave away $89 million to do work with digital access. And a lot of that's going to training and working with older adults. Charlie, tell us about your work today at the Rose Bowl. I'm sure some of the seeds of this early work lead on, live on, right? Well, the Rose Bowl Institute uh, champions sportsmanship, leadership, and citizenship, and sportsmanship as citizenship. So what we try to do is uh, well, the first thing I got from the communications field, bringing it to this sports values field, applying positive sports values to civil society, um, is that we're in an attention economy. And the attention economy means we have information overload, but attention is the scarcity. And how do we get attention today? But hate, fear, anger, sensationalism, sports. And so um, what we do is, uh, among other things, is have uh, where athletes go into schools and talk to kids, we have talking points we develop with the National Constitution Center to uh, show the parallels between sportsmanship and citizenship as a form of civic literacy. Um, so that's one area. Another is to just uh, sell sportsmanship. So we have ads, we have little vignettes of good sportsmanship understanding that like Sesame Street, where you show the positive and you don't want to just, you know, have the negative images up there. Um, so we show positive uh, instances of sportsmanship with the tagline, sportsmanship, it's how you play the game. And brought to you by Rose Bowl Institute and whatever league, we've got the Ivy League, the Sunbelt Conference for starters, but we hope to have that all over the country. Um, and, but, uh, you know, we do women's empowerment. We have a women's empowerment symposium. We have uh, race and sports, things that, that uh, where the communications field, which touches everything. Uh, and, you know, we got, we did a lot on race and media um, come into uh, to the sports world. And uh, what Jeff was just talking about in terms of uh, Tom Brady's um, thinking we just had a, a 
what we call rose table dialogue. It's it's like the old Aspen seminars, but we call it we have a rose table which is in the shape of a ro of the rose bowl, finished in rosewood uh, that we set up in the in the rose bowl locker room, and we had a just had a rose rose table dialogue on mental health of athletes, and it fits right into that. So you know all of it interconnects uh, in one way or another, but that's. Uh, the Rose Bowl Institute is, is new. It's two years old, two and a half years old. And uh, thanks for giving me a, a little opportunity to, to explain it. Rosebowlinstitute.org. You know, it, it's, excited to, to, it's exciting for me to learn about that. And uh, Jeff, I have to also thank Positive Science, who's been a big part of our conferences that we do. We're coming up on our 20th Longevity Venture Capital Summit. So that brings together entrepreneurs, investors, all looking at technology and aging. And, um, and we have been doing our podcast. So I think Lloyd would be happy that we're doing this work. He'd be happy that we're mentoring. Uh, we can all look up to him as one of the integrity bookends in our life. Speaking of Lloyd mentoring, uh, the first uh, program officer that I had when I was at UCLA was a woman named Jean Furstenberg, who went on to be head up the um, American Film Institute. I mean, he he mentored uh, some some heavyweights, <laughs> and uh, Kathy Clark, who went on to run Case at Duke University. Um, so there are a number of uh, people who came into Lloyd's orbit, not just. Uh, the grantees, but even his employees who uh, we moved on to higher uh, and better areas. And uh, Charlie, you know, Kathy, whose schedule at Duke University didn't allow for us to join us today, uh, starts off her LinkedIn profile with this. This is a, a direct quote from there. In the early 1990s, the co-founder of Sesame Street told me during a lunch interview his foundation liked to put people, money, and ideas together to create social good. I almost choked on my soup to realize his enterprise had helped teach me to read, as well as millions of others around the world. I wanted to make an impact like that. Parentheses, yes, I took the job. 30 years later, I have put my energy into improving how people, money, and ideas can come together for good. So that's the quote from uh, Kathy Clark's LinkedIn profile. Well, it's hard to say it any better than that. Um, thank you, Charlie and Jeff, for joining us today and for sharing this wonderful set of memories and remembering Lloyd's leadership. And Mary, thank you for bringing Lloyd into my life. Oh. And thanks for inviting me to share. Really appreciate it. Great, great to be with you all. Mary, before we wrap up, uh, a couple of deals we want to note. Mitch Yole, CEO at Journey Health and Lifestyle, has announced the acquisition of LifeWalker Mobility, maker of the UpWalker family of products. And we'll have more about that going forward, but uh, we've kind of been waiting for this one. Yes, I have. And I think mobility is going to be a big area to watch this year. So we know about five or six startups that are coming out in the mobility space. Terrific. And from our friends at Ziegler Linkage Funds, K4 Connect is rolling out a new integration with NetSmart to help users coordinate care and staffing more effectively. Staffing is a big issue everywhere, it seems, Mary. 
Absolutely. I just spoke with meet caregivers this morning. And when you talk to the principals and senior housing, staffing is the key issue. Vitaltech has rolled out its new workflow automation solution. It's called Vitaltech Care Plus. And Smart Meter says its partnership with Blue Star Telehealth has reduced systolic blood pressure in 42% of patients in a remote patient monitoring program. That kind of technology is certainly the kind of thing we expect to see much, much more of. You know, a real theme during this session, uh, this podcast, was about social impact through the use of technology. And I think that's been an anchor through our work over the past 20 years. And I am pleased to say that ARP is continuing to support our conferences and our podcast in the year to come, and that we will have a competition around the topic of social isolation in June. So it'll be our 20th year of the Longevity Venture Summit in June. We've given away over $200,000, 10,000 a year. Our winner last year, NeuroSantis, you might remember, Fred, was then funded by the Mayo Clinic. So we will challenge the entrepreneurs in the audience to uh, submit business plans around social isolation. And I think Lloyd would be proud of this tapestry of talent continuing to work on investment for social impact. Well, that is great news. And obviously we're very happy to be working with AARP and the Age Tech Collaborative once again. And again, we wanna thank Charlie and Jeff for spending time with us and Lloyd, Thank you for the life you lived. Our gratitude as well to Posit Science for helping to make this episode possible. You can find all of our podcasts, including What's Next, Living Longer, Better, Smarter at maryfurlong.com slash podcasts. Thank you for spending time with us.